Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. It's good to be back with you two weeks ago. I was uh, doing a segment of the river to get my trip shortened here for the rest of the summer where we're paddling all the way to the Gulf of Mexico on the Mississippi River to raise awareness and raise funds for a medical mission boat on the Amazon. And I'm going to tell you what, that stupid wind... We had 25 mile an hour constant wind and then we had 40 mile an hour gusts. And if you're on a river or even on a flat water of any kind, 15's about the max. And we were so determined we were gonna make it up. I had water literally breaking. I had 40 mile an hour headwind coming straight up the river at me. Well, it was the gust and they were about every 90 seconds and two minutes. So they're making a lot of waves. And I would see if we got a 16 foot boat North American touring kayak, and my nose would go underwater, and I literally had two feet of water come back over my nose and hit me in the chest. And then my boat would pop up, it would porpoise, and it would come down like on concrete almost, and then we'd dive into the next one. And the whole time I'm out there, I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? I could be at home sleeping in my bed. I could be driving in a Jeep right now. I mean, I could be, what is, what? And uh, I mean, you're paddling for your life and you finally, we get off to the side, we'd catch a break for a minute and we'd rest for three or four minutes and then you're like, I gotta find another one of those. I gotta do that again. And unfortunately we did it for 126 miles. So I was ready to be done, but uh, survived that. Smelled terrible, but survived that. No shower for a week. And then uh, my poor wife rode in the car with me home. So she either loves me a lot or I need to have an ENT look at her head and find out what's wrong with her nose. But uh, then last weekend, uh, we had the uh, annual Quad Cities Law Enforcement Officer Memorial Services. And so that occupies my whole Sunday. I'll never be here the first Sunday in May because that's when we have that. And then uh, Friday... I had that last Sunday, and then Friday this week, I had the one in Des Moines uh, that I do as a chaplain over there, too. So it's been a, been a busy time. I'm glad this whole last couple of weeks is over. So I want to continue talking with you in this series about prayer and Bible study, about intending to grow deeper. And uh, today we want to talk about praying bigger than me. How do I pray bigger than me? I mean, how do I pray beyond myself? And in the box there, in your notes, our prayers don't exist in a world of their own. We are in a dialogue with a personal divine spirit. God longs to shape us as much as he wants to hear from us. Now, the problem for most of us is that, honestly, our prayer life is frequently so shallow so juvenile, so devoid of any semblance of maturity that we miss out on what God wants to do with us, what God wants to do through us, and what God wants to do in us. 
And you say, well, I don't know about that. No, trust me. <laughs> we see this all the time in children. When you have a newborn in your house, you'll notice that the newborn doesn't care about the family schedule. The newborn doesn't care how busy you are. The newborn also doesn't care if it's light out or dark out, right? <laughs> the newborn doesn't care how your life has been for the last few hours. It's all about me, my comfort, my discomfort when I'm a child. And a lot of times that also describes our prayer life. See, you can age chronologically and not mature spiritually. And you can find yourself in a bad place. Now, I'm just going to tell you, just to be clear, when I say we do this, I am including moi. That's French for yo. <laughs> Spanish speakers got that one. The rest of you, Google it. Um, not now, but later. Sometimes our prayers tend to be like this. God, help. <laughs> right? You look up red, blue lights, rearview mirror. God, help. Something else happens, something negative. God, help. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's all we can pray. Sometimes that's all that we need to pray. One of my uh, friends on social media has walked with the Lord for many, many years. And I consider him to be a great saint, a great man of God. He's not in the ministry, but he's been such an encouragement. And he was headed to see his kids in the south. And he had posted, sitting in Chicago, waiting on my next flight. Can't wait to see my, 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 my son and his family. Can't wait to see my son and his family. You see pictures of the, him and the, the three grandkids and all this. And then you'd see when he landed in the state where he was headed, and he'd say, oh, I'm here. You know, now I'm just waiting on my son and, the, and my grandkids to come get me. I'm so excited. What should I do with the grandkids while I'm here? Just, I mean, really prolific posting. And then it just falls silent. And then you see this post that just says, God, help us. I thought, what in the world has happened? And a few minutes later, I learned that his son and his son's three kids, his three grandchildren, were on their way to the airport to pick him up. They were in an accident. All three grandchildren were killed. The son's life was in doubt for about two days. Now, there could have never been a more appropriate prayer than God help us. God help us. But if we are in that unself-disciplined habit of using God like a cosmic 911 dispatcher, and we only call him when we're in trouble, what happens is we generally feel like God isn't listening to us because we don't talk to him on a normal basis. Listen, God wants more from you than 911 call-outs. He wants you involved with him on a regular basis. You know, I, I loved caring for my kids when they were little, I rocked Chloe to sleep almost every night until she was close to five. 
And part of that was she was a hearing impaired kid and it's hard for her to hear women's voices, but she could hear dad's voice. And I would hold her in my lap or when she's little, lay her up on my chest and I would, I would sing to her and she would go to sleep that way. And I treasure those moments. Those are moments I will never forget. And my kids know that even today, I've had to deal with my daughter. All you have to do, we do find my friends. I told her, all you have to do, you text me a sad face. You send me a sad emoji, find my friends, and I will be on my way. I will come like lightning, and I will bring thunder. But I will come get you. No matter how old you are, you text me a sad emoji, and I'm on my way. And that's, that's how I feel about all my kids. But you know what I, I, I treasure most now? What I treasure most now is when my grown kids come home and they don't have to. What I treasure most now are the hugs I get when they're unsolicited, the text messages, the phone calls. I love those times. I treasure those times because my kids have grown and matured. So how do I mature in my prayer life? Let me give you several things. I want to teach you how to have a well-rounded prayer life, how to have a healthy prayer life today. Number one. When I pray, I must look backwards to the cross. Then you say, what do you mean look backwards to the cross? So we need to do this in a practical way. If you're like me, you probably have a short memory when it comes to what God has done for you. So I would suggest you do what I've learned to do. When I start my prayers, I don't start with my fears or my problem du jour been watching Julia Child. <laughs> bon appetit. <laughs> no, rather what I do is no matter what's going on, I start not by reminding God, but by reminding me that I'm grateful for the past. Watch 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to have you underline three things in this. You pray to God and call him Father, and he judges each person's work equally. So, while you are here on earth, you should live with respect for God. Now, how do you do that? Watch. Underline one, two, three, four, five, first six words here. You know that in the past, underline that. You know that in the past. What is that? That's a call to remember, that's a reminder. He says, remember what God has already done for you. You were living in a worthless way, a way passed down from people who lived before you, people who didn't know God, who affected you. Maybe you came from a family where Christianity, where knowing God wasn't a big deal. You thought you could determine how you knew God rather than God determine how you knew God. And so your family taught you some bad, incorrect things about God or about knowing God. He says, those were worthless. Those have been passed down to you. But watch this. Just to underline the whole next sentence. But you were saved from that useless life. You were bought, not with something that ruins like gold or silver. You say, well, how in the world does gold or silver ruin? Can you put that graphic up for me? There's gold over the last few days. Gold has been, at, at some point in its history, gold has been as small as $2 an ounce and as high as like $3,200 an ounce in some cases. Gold is all over the place. You think that's bad, go check out your Bitcoin, right? You say, wait, are you assuming I have Bitcoin? 
you will <laughs> eventually. You'll have something. You see that, the value of that goes everywhere. He says, no, you weren't saved with something where the value is all over the place. You were saved by something that pegs the value chart. Watch. He says, you were saved with the precious blood of Christ, who was like a pure and perfect lamb. In other words, the value of the blood of Jesus is as high as possible. God cannot love you more than he loves you now, and he's never loved you less than he loves you now. God maxes out his love for you through the blood of Christ. Verse 20. Christ was chosen before the world was made, but he was shown to the world in these last times for your sake. Though through Christ you believe in God, who raised Christ from the dead and gave him glory. Underline this last sentence. So your faith and your hope are in who? God. See, when I remember what Jesus did at the cross, when I remember what God has done down through history to bring Christ to me, when I remember what God has done for me since I found Christ in 1969, back when the earth was still cooling. Oh, yeah, literally, that's what the weekly reader said. The earth was getting cold. They were talking about a new ice age. When I remember all those things that God has done for me, it creates in me uh, for that day an attitude of gratitude no matter what else I'm, I'm being distracted by, no matter what else I'm facing. You know, when God freed the Jewish people, the ancient Jewish people from the Egyptians, every time the going got tough, they started out yelling to God, going, we want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> At least we had a place to sleep. At least we had houses we could live in. At least we could fry onions for lunch. That was actually one of their complaints. <laughs> and what they did, they had forgotten in a matter of days. They had forgotten God turning all the water into blood. They'd forgotten the invasion of frogs. They'd forgotten the invasion of lice, the invasion of flies. They'd forgotten the livestock pestilence that killed only Egyptian livestock. The boils that only the Egyptians got. The burning hail, hailstones that fell from the sky and burned on the ground like fire. They'd forgotten the locusts that plagued only the Egyptians. They'd forgotten the darkness that plagued only the Egyptians and not the Jews. They'd forgotten the killing of the firstborn children. They had forgotten the pillar of fire that gave them comfort and security at night and the pillar of cloud that led them during the day. They had forgotten God taking a sea, dividing it in half, and them walking across it on dry ground, then to turn around and watch it close up and destroy the Egyptian army. And they'd seen all that, and now they're saying to God, we don't like it out here. <laughs> We're nervous out here. We're scared. We want to go back to Egypt or at least we had a place to sleep. They were willing to trade their freedom for security. Get this. Trading your freedom for some other form of security has never been God's plan for his people. And it still isn't. They weren't grateful for what God had done for them, and they, had, man, they weren't grateful because they'd already forgotten. So God addresses this human tendency to forget. You know how you walk into a room and you can't remember why you went in there? So God addressed this on a bigger level with people who couldn't remember what he had done for them. Deuteronomy 11. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. 
Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above there. So what he's talking about here is he's saying you should be making spiritual conversations about God and what he has done in your life and for your family and for your friends such a natural part of your day that it becomes impossible to forget. They should be so normal in your conversations that you should be able to talk to your friends and your neighbors and your kids and your grandkids and so on about spiritual things and it doesn't feel weird. That's what he's talking about. Verse 22, be careful to obey all these commands I'm giving you. Show love to the Lord your God, how? By walking in his ways and holding tightly to him. For those of us in Christ, that means remembering what was done for us. All right, number two. So I'm gonna look backward toward the cross. I must look upward into God's face. So you remember when the disciples came to Jesus? Because Jesus would take off every day and he would go pray. And the disciples were like, well, that's kind of weird. How's he doing that? And so they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So you know what he does? He brings out the old book for prayer. What was it? See Dick Run? <laughs> remember that? He brings out the fat crayons with the wide ledger paper. And he tries to show them the basics of prayer. And how did he tell them to address God? Our Lord God, who is in eternity above. Is that what he did with them? No. What did he say? Our? Our Father. Our Father. By the way, the word Father in English is formal. You may thank Queen Elizabeth for that, not the current one. Okay? Way back, the one who established the languages. All right? It's too formal. That's not the formality that's in Scripture. But listen, if you make only one change in your prayer life and you simply start calling God Father and drop off all the other stuff that you've, you've been told you have to include, it will radically change your prayer life because what you call someone sets the tone of the conversation. When someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, I know I'm in trouble. You know, they're wanting something from me or they're going to argue with me about something. Somebody comes up and calls me Tony. Ah, we're good with that. <laughs> See, what you call someone sets the tone for the whole conversation. Now watch this from Romans 8. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he what? Adopted you as his own children. So I had friends growing up, uh, they were friends of our families named the Conrads, and uh, Doc and Bev, Doc had white hair, Bev had fiery red hair, and their three kids were Mark, who they had adopted. Mark, uh, by genetics, was Apache Indian, dark-skinned, jet black, straight hair, and then he had two brothers that were pale skin, like opening up an atlas where you could see the blood vessels, you know, like on a highway. <laughs> Super pale, super light-haired kids. And I remember we went into a restaurant one time, and the attendant came over, and she goes, oh, wow, who are these? And Beverly said, these are my, these are my sons. And she said, oh, I love it when people adopt. 
And Beverly said, and I'll never forget this, she said, yeah, I think that's true. She goes, I think we adopted one of them, but I can't for the life of me remember which one it was. <laughs> God adopts us, and we're his as if we're born, right? As if we were created to him. Now, I love this. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we cry out to him, what? Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we, in fact, are God's beloved children. Now, this passage gives us three really important things about prayer. We need to, we need to get into our heads. Here's the first one. A, hey, God wants my prayers to be personal. That's why it says you cry out to him, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy. Why Abba? Has nothing to do with the band. Just want to clarify that. The band was 1,900 years later. By the way, do you know they were originally known as Bjorn and Benny, Agneta and Frida? Doesn't really roll off the tongue. It's a good thing they came up with a different name. Abba is the first Hebrew speak is the first name Hebrew speaking children use for their dad. It's among the first sounds that children make. It's it's also, by the way, super informal. I mean, the first sounds that a baby makes linguistically are almost universally the sounds ba, ma, da, ta, pa. In English, we use dada. We use papa. A lot of languages use some form of dada, some form of, of papa for father. Greek, Latin, Czech, Sanskrit, Spanish, Polish, Romanian, Welsh, Yiddish, Filipino all use some sound or some version of the word dada. Or something dati or dad. Russian, Swedish, Spanish, Norwegian, Portuguese, Persian, Latin, Japanese, Hungarian, Hindi, German, French, Icelandic, and Dutch all have some version of the word papa or papi. Korean, apa. Turkish, Swahili, Nepali, Mandarin, Chinese, Mandarin, Chinese Zulu, Malay, Italian, Indonesian, Arabic all have some version of the word baba. All of those terms are just the first sound that a child can make and attach it. And they are terms of trust and terms of dependence. I mean, in ancient Jewish culture, Abba was the most basic root word in the Aramaic for a father. It's the word daddy, Abba. You say, well, I don't really feel comfortable with calling God daddy. That's part of why you're not good at praying. You don't have the right relationship. God says, more than anything else you say, I want it to be personal. I'm your Abba. I'm not your boss. I'm not your recruiter. I'm not your valet. I'm not your cosmic concierge. I'm not your spiritual Amazon where you just come to pray and add to cart. <laughs> he says, that's not me. He says, just come talk to me. All right, next one, B. God wants my prayers to cry out with passion. God wants my prayers to cry out with passion. Romans 8, 15. Now we, what? We cry out to him, Abba, Father. The thing about little kids is they tell you what's on their mind, right? 
They tell you what's on their mind. They're dependent. They know it. They need something. They got to get somebody else to do it or help with it. They just cry it out. They are full of emotion. They are unpretentious. They don't care what anybody else thinks. God says, listen, when you pray, put your passion into it. Don't pray like you're writing office memos, which I did for several months when God and I were not on speaking terms. <laughs> and I was working for him. So I memoed him as my employer at those times. I was a little miffed at him. But God wants you to share your emotions. Why? Because God's an emotional God. God created you in his image. You wouldn't even have emotions if God didn't create us in his image. He wants you to share what's on your heart, what's on your mind. You say, well, I can't speak like that to God. Really? You should, hear, you know, you should have heard some of my conversations with God when I was angry with him. Do you realize God's big enough that if you take a swing at him, you're not going to get him? <laughs> you yell at him, he's not going to get upset and yell back. Sometimes you just got to get it off your system. God's big enough to take your anger. And you'll know that as you're dumping anger on him, he's telling you, hold on, let's walk this through. And he'll help you with that anger. All right, see, God wants my prayers to be a partnership with the Holy Spirit. So, when you are a Christ follower, this is important, when you are a Christ follower, when you pray, the Holy Spirit prays with you. So have you, you ever tried to pray where you can't even put the word, you, I don't even know where to start. The Holy Spirit's already started. The whole, Holy Spirit's already filling it in. Or when you're just so desperate, you can't put it into words and all you can do is just sob before God. Now watch this from Romans 8. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our what? Circle the word weakness. You know what that weakness is? In our spiritual weakness, in our emotional weakness, in our physical weakness. For example, Paul says, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us, for us believers, here, underlined to the end, in harmony with God's own will. <laughs> it's possible for you to be praying and the Holy Spirit's praying something opposite. Because in your weakness, you're praying selfishly and the Holy Spirit is going, God, don't listen to him. <laughs> Here's what they need. This is what they really want. What they really want in their life is what you want for them. Isn't that interesting? See, God understands what you need when you don't even understand what you need. Even when you're praying for the wrong things, God is still listening to the Holy Spirit and doing so on your behalf. By the way, I, I really need to make sure you understand this. If you have not committed your life to Christ... This promise is not for you. This promise is only for those who are following Jesus Christ, not Jesus and something else, Jesus Christ. If that's not you, you don't have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit pray for you, and that's not a good place to be. If you haven't taken care of that, man, ask anybody around here, and we'll get, you, we'll get you set up. We'll be able to talk to you. Come see Travis. Come see me. Uh, one of us is almost always at that table right there. 
Come talk to us about it. Let's get that dealt with. All right, number three, I must look inward. Inward to see that I'm allowing Jesus to live through me. Now, why would I need to do that? So in Matthew 7, Jesus is telling a series of stories that call people out. The people he's calling out are people who believe they can follow Jesus on their own terms. They're saying, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm only going to do this part of it. I'm not going to do that part of it. I don't believe, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to do that. No, that's, he, he says, listen, there are some of you who have settled for the level of spiritual or perceived spirituality around you, and you're not letting Jesus be the standard anymore. You're looking for a lower standard that you can live down to and think you can get away with it. And those people, he says, those people who are doing that, they're good people, they're doing good things, but they're not God's people. They're not God's people. Watch this, Matthew 7. He's warning them about judgment day. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who, circle these two words, actually do. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. The apostle Paul warned this in 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to see, to see what? If your faith is genuine, are you actually following Jesus? Are you obeying Jesus? Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you've failed the test of genuine faith. In other words, you've got to do a self-examination. Do a heart checkup. You've got to look deep inside into your conscience and examine yourself to see if your faith is real and if it's growing. And remember, Jesus wants to live in you. Unless, of course, he can't. And it will be, the reason he can't is because you've never committed. And, I, and when I say committed, I don't mean you're going to live it out perfectly. But your, your intent is to continue growing and keep a clean slate with God on a regular basis. Proverbs 28 you got to keep that clean slate going. People who conceal their sins will not proffer, but, ooh, circle this word, if, there's a condition, right? If they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So one of my daily prayers, especially at the end of the day, is from Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Here, underline this. Point out anything in me that offends you. My prayer at the end of the day, God, am I doing something wrong that you don't want me to do? What is that? And get rid of anything in your life that's interfering with you letting Jesus live through you. All right, number four. I must look around. I must look around and I ask where the Holy Spirit wants to use me. So I need to actively watch for places where the Holy Spirit wants me to take an action. Romans 6, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, that is in your sins, 
but now you have new life because you've chosen to follow Christ. So use your whole body as an instrument to what? Do what is right. So do you realize the most dangerous prayer that you can ever pray for yourself is this? God, use me. Both God and the world around you are waiting for you to be available, to be used. So when you pray, God, use me the way you want to use me. Use me the way you need to use me. Listen, the world's waiting for your contribution, and someone in your life is actually waiting for your contribution. You were made to contribute. You were made for more than just yourself. All right, number five. I must look forward to my future in faith, even if it's not what I originally wanted. Anybody else ever look at their life and go, I didn't plan this? <laughs> How did I end up here? A lot of people who are looking at retirement are looking back over their life going, oh, what happened? How did I get this far off the path? You know, there's a meme out there that says, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. God has never laughed at your plans. That's not the God of the Bible that does that. God wants to hear your plans. God wants to hear your thoughts. God wants to hear your ideas. God wants to hear your dreams. And it's not so he can laugh at you. It's so that he can work in you and bring you into alignment with his plan for you. So you talk to him and you say, God, Abba, Father, Help me, to pri help me to prioritize today. I got 19 things, 20 things I got to do today. I got 100 things I got to do this week. I'm not going to get them all done. Help me to prioritize. Give me the wisdom and the strength and the energy for what you have in mind for me today. Confession time. I lived in Illinois for six months. Oh, jeez. I lived in a town where everybody was their own first cousin. It's Christmas, Illinois. Every morning I still check the news to see if an asteroid fell on it. Um, 600 people and all but 38 of them, I'm sure, were dead. It's at the intersection of Highway 1 and Highway 36. Can't get more specific than that. Don't even buy gas there. I lived there long enough and worked there long enough that I thought, I don't ever want to live in any part of Illinois ever again the rest of my life. Kill me now. If, this, if you got, I told God, if you got plans for me to be back in Illinois living, kill me. I'm not going. I do not want to go. I never wanted to live in Iowa. I visited two churches in the 1980s in the Des Moines area. And I saw them absolutely berated and bullied by one family in each of those churches. And that was enough for me to know Christians in Iowa are nutcases. I do not want to belong in one of those places. Uh -uh, don't want to go to Iowa, ever. God had other plans. Now, I've always told God, I'm willing to go wherever he wants me to go. That doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to question God's sanity <laughs> and putting me places. Doesn't mean I didn't question God a lot. And I'm not going to lie. 
didn't mean I had my doubts and complaints. The first church I pastored in Iowa was like the first two I saw in Iowa. And I was actually planning to get out of the ministry since God wouldn't kill me. I was going to go get a secular job somewhere. But can I tell you now, I can't imagine having lived anywhere else with any other people than you folks. I can't. I just can't imagine it. I love living here. And I still have a two-mile buffer between my house and Illinois. <laughs> and every once in a while, I can sneak over and see friends, but I don't have to stay. <laughs> I can drive over and come right back. Watch this from Isaiah 55. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Listen, I don't know how your thinking lines up with God's today. Prayer will help that. Prayer will help bring you into alignment with God's thoughts. I don't know in your life if you are on a mountaintop spiritually, you were at the best time of your life spiritually. I don't know if maybe you were in the bottom of a deep, dark valley spiritually. But I can tell you this, I know that the mountaintops are just as dangerous as the valleys. Because when you're on the mountaintop, you can forget. You can forget to think about God. When you're in the valley, you think God's forgotten about you. Some of you say, you know what, right now my life is so bad, I would settle for the floor of the valley because it would still be higher up than where I am right now. I'm in a hole, I'm in a rut that is so deep right now that moving to the bottom of the valley would be an upgrade from where I am. Corey Tinboom was the youngest daughter of a Dutch watchmaker. And her whole family had committed to protecting and helping Jews escape from the Holocaust. And they hid them in their home. They were ultimately caught, and they were arrested, and they were sent to concentration camps. I don't remember what happened to her mom. Remember, her dad died two weeks after they were put in a concentration camp. That left her and her sister, Betsy. They were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And... After a hard day of labor, they would gather in their barracks. And they had managed to smuggle a Bible into the camp, and they would read from that Bible to the others who were in their barracks with them. And they would love on those other people. And through their teaching, through the examples of their, their giving when they had nothing left to give, a lot of the people in that camp converted to Christianity because of those two girls. Betsy's health continued to deteriorate in the camp. She died on 16 December 1944 at the age of 59. And before she, told, before she died, she told her sister, Corey, she reminded her, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Listen, no matter what you are going through, God is there in the darkness of the pit with you. And he surrounds you. He's there with you. Twelve days after Betsy died, Corey was released. Afterwards, she was told at her release that because of a clerical error, 
A week after arriving at the camp, all the other women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers. She was the only survivor from her age group. She was the only survivor from her family. And when she was asked later about her faith in that dark time, she answered, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Listen, when I learned to reflect on God's goodness to me, even before I was born, and then after I was born, and then especially after I was saved, when I learned to trust God, when I learned to prepare myself so God can put me on call and use me when he needs me, when I learned to be available for that call, when I look forward to whatever God's plan is, even if it's different from my plan, whatever is happening around me, whatever is happening around me, prayer allows that to become a place where I can mature, where I can thrive, and where my life can come into alignment with God's thoughts and God's ways. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity today to look at how we can mature to help us have a more well-rounded, prayerful life. Father, we know that your ways are above our ways, and we simply ask that you give us the opportunity to be able to spot that, that you give us the encouragement to chase your ways instead of our ways. Father, help us to mature as a people. Help us to mature as individuals. Help us to learn to pray for the things that you would have us to pray for and to do so with gratitude and to accept and thrive in your answers even if they're not what we originally intended. Father, we thank you for Jesus who brought your grace to us, who modeled the life you want us to live. Now, may we allow him to do that through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.